right, another episode of this Growing Compass podcast. This time with two uh, brethren from Kentucky, often confused with California. We have got uh, brother Tom Nitschke and brother Dan Kemble. Thank you so much both for being on the podcast. Thank you. So I got in touch with, uh, well, it was with worship uh, with brother uh, Tom, and then he got in touch with uh, brother Dan. Uh, regarding in particular your involvement with your research lodge. Um, so tell me a bit about that, but also tell me about your Masonic journey um, and also what's happening with Freemasonry in Kentucky right now. Are you guys able to meet again? Uh, are you guys uh, doing degrees, things like that? Well, I guess I'll, I'll start it off. Uh, uh, in Kentucky, we are meeting again. Uh, all the lodges are, are able to participate uh, in uh, their meetings. So we were pretty much back back to normal. Uh, still have to follow some of the guidelines by the state, but for the most part, we're pretty much open. Uh, regards to Freemasonry, uh, my journey, uh, it's it's been a little over going on 11 years and uh, didn't have a real connection with Freemasonry. I just knew it was something that intrigued me and a lot of history a lot of uh, uh, things that I felt was I could use in my life. And I reached out and my journey uh, started from that point forward. Uh, but like every other journey, I learned so many things along the road of what the Freemasonry I wanted. And I think that was the, the biggest thing for me is it's taken me about 11 years to really truly understand what I went out of Freemasonry and what it has to offer and a lot of things that we forget that we actually do have. So uh, my inclusion into the uh, Lodge of Research was about, I believe about five years ago. Uh, I was just looking for something more in depth in Freemasonry and uh, the William Aware Lodge of Research was, was local and I knew a lot of the brothers that were involved with it and it looked really interesting and I got involved with it and uh, here I am as the master. So it's kind of kind of my story. Uh, Brother Campbell? I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about lodges of research, particularly in Kentucky. Uh, we, we are a creature of, uh, of the Constitution of the Grand Lodge of Kentucky, uh, <clears throat> which may give you some indication of how we're thought of uh, by institutional Freemasonry. If you find our Constitution and go to the very end of it, the last thing that's mentioned in the Constitution are the provisions that create lodges of research. We do not do degree work. Now, now you asked earlier if degree work is going on in Kentucky, and it is, but lodges of research do not do degree work. Uh, we meet only on a quarterly basis, and, uh, and our function is to perform uh, Masonic research and to provide a forum for those who wish to uh, to provide uh, Masonic research, and that's uh, that's how we see our mission at uh, at William O'Ware Lodge of Research uh, to uh, to be a place where those who are interested in uh, in Masonry beyond the surface can come to uh, to look at uh, writings and materials that already exist, and also to create new writings and new materials as well. So that's how we see, I think, our mission as a lodge of research. And that's what we're carved out to do. Kentucky right now has three lodges of research. And I understand that, uh, that there's potentially a fourth that's, uh, 
that's forming as well. So uh, there is interest in Messiah education right now. To what extent, uh, you, you touched on something interesting there, the, the idea of going deeper into Freemasonry. Um, my question is, and this is something I've been struggling with or, or trying to engage with in the podcast, you know, is, is to what extent can a research lodge go outside of Freemasonry in order to find um, topics uh, of Masonic interest or Masonic relevance? So, you know, on the podcast, I have had, for example, uh, Professor William Moore, who wrote a book uh, basically chronicling Masonic buildings and Masonic temples in New York from 1830 to 1930. He did this exhaustive kind of study. I've had other individuals on uh, who are themselves are not Masons, but are, you know, have knowledge of topics that would be of Masonic interest, architecture, geometry, um, science and technology. It's as a research lodge, do you find yourselves, how, how often do you find yourselves looking at maybe expertise from outside the craft and then bringing that into the craft and into Masonic education? I think for our lodge, our research lodge, uh, we're developing, uh, trying to work with uh, other uh, members, brothers from a, a wide array, array of, uh, you know, disciplines, uh, whether it be history, knowledge of ritual, uh, and also reaching out to places, you know, bringing people in from California, bringing people in from DC, they have different views that we may not perhaps have in Kentucky that kind of enlighten our membership. And because every place you're in Canada, is that correct? Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. Windsor, Ontario. So there are things that are unique to you and gives a perspective about masonry and journeys and, and how you live your Freemasonry. And if we can tap into some of those things, uh, that are outside our jurisdiction, you know, it gives us an ability to expand our horizons because sometimes you get you get kind of in, into a box and you just think of Kentucky Freemasonry. Uh, just during this pandemic, we've just had so many different uh, times that uh, we're going across the, the country to, to get ideas and share and all these Zoom meetings. And I'm just learning so many different things that I never thought of. And it just opened my eyes on, on several things. And uh, I think it's an opportunity that, you know, for us to reach out to those those, uh, those brothers in diff different places to get a wide perspective. Uh, Brother Dan probably can expand on that as well. Well, I, I think Freemasonry is a call to learning uh, and, and there are no limitations on that. Um, <clears throat> we spend a lot of time learning about Freemasonry and, and one of our limitations is we only meet four times a year, so we kind of have to be judicious about the things that we talk about. But in general, when we uh, encourage Blue Lodges to have educational programs, I think it's wonderful to go outside of masonry and look at topics that, that are uh, important to us uh, as individuals in a society. If you look at the history of, uh, of Masonic Lodges when they were organized in 1717 in the Grand Lodge of England. Those are men who talked about the current events of the day. And a Masonic Lodge was a place that they could safely do that. 
And I'd love to see that kind of environment exist in our lodges again. We're all about learning. And if, if what you're interested in is outside of Freemasonry, we encourage that. And, and I suspect that in any discipline, in any area, in any area uh, that you look at, if you look at it closely enough, you'll bring it back to the craft at some place. Uh, yeah, I agree completely. And that's something that I've always been struck by is the, 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 the way Freemasonry can encompass so much, so, so many different areas of one's life and, and knowledge and learning can be you know, unfolded into Freemasonry. And the opportunities for Masonic education that that, that brings, you know, it doesn't all, always have to be necessarily not that I'm certainly always happy to, you know, for example, learn um, about, you know, this is an important part uh, of Masonic education, you know, learning about, you know, architectural styles and why Masonic temples are designed, you know, primarily neoclassical um, oftentimes. I think things like that, you know, that's something that, that, I think there's a lot of room for in Masonic education and in growing lodges. Yeah, and 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 what you to kind of expand on what you just said is just expanding ourselves. What I'm doing tonight, probably a couple of years ago, I'd be a, a way nervous doing, and still am to some extent. But challenging myself to write papers, challenging myself to go in to lodges and speak publicly. And clearly, and you're working on your grammar, your rhetoric, your all the things that can make you a successful person outside in your job. And I think we miss some of that too. Is you know we we have a, a training ground to a safe environment among our peers, our brothers, and and do those things that we're learning, we're improving, and we're becoming better. And I, I never thought I'd be doing some of the things I that I, that I do now, and I and I see that it's it's helped me in in in, in my job, uh, you know, understanding tolerance, uh, just trying to uh, the fairness and, and all those little things that we teach in our in our in our ritual, uh, and and applying those, and I think that in itself is is we we don't state that enough sometimes in masonry of all the things that you're able to do and that's the little things it's that continual build building of ourselves so and helping society uh, afterwards yeah and and that goes to something you know I, I referenced this a few times uh i won't use the exact the exact language um but basically you know in, in our ritual in the third degree and, and i believe it's the same in the states there's basically a line about um uh, it, the, the basic premise is you know as you grow in knowledge you grow in social utility the more knowledgeable you are on any number of topics but especially you know the liberal arts and sciences which are very broad encompassing the better member of society you can be uh, in general and the more useful you will be. Whether, you know, and that goes back to, to ancient times, you know, uh, the sign above the, the, I think it was Plato's University uh, Academy, right? Uh, 
that no one who you need to understand geometry to enter here. The idea of an understanding of these things as being important to understand the world and be useful as a citizen. Um, I think that's something that Mason really emphasizes and certainly your work in a lodge of research helps to further that as well. Yeah, and, that, and you know, with that expanding, we're providing lodges to the, to the lodges, regular uh, standard lodges or blue lodges as we call them here in Kentucky, uh, that, you know, we become a resource and give some guidance on, you know, you know, the work we're doing in the research, the passion that we have for that research and digging deeper, we in turn take that and become, like I said, a resource for lodges. They can in turn bring it to their lodge and expand to the minds of their brothers. And I think it's just a, it's a, it's a, uh, a unique and powerful situation where we can, we can help other lodges inform their, their brothers and have a, a quality, unique experience. Would you say, um, uh, this is for, for both of you guys, mm -hmm. uh, with cool. your um, time in the research lodge and time in Freemasonry, are there areas of research that either you're particularly interested in or that you maybe consider to be lacking and, and are hoping to gather more research and information on those areas? Or I guess what are some of the areas of research that have particularly interested you in your Masonic journey? Dan, I'll let you go first because you're very well versed. <laughs> well, I, I, I started professional life as a history teacher. So, uh, so I'm very interested in history. And uh, uh, there is, uh, it, it is virtually impossible to separate uh, American history from Masonic history. It's virtually impossible to separate Kentucky history from Masonic history. So the overlap is, is incredible. And I have enjoyed uh, exploring that. Uh, as, a, uh, as a fellow craft Mason, uh, we are all charged to study the liberal arts and sciences. And I uh, uh, will tell you that when I was a student in college, I, I struggled mightily with uh, astronomy and, uh, and still know very little about it. That's an area where I would like to improve my knowledge. Uh, uh, I'm not the greatest mathematician in the world. That's a place where I could, uh, I could use some improvement as well. And if we take, if we simply take the, the liberal arts and sciences that, uh, that we're given as fellow craft masons and pursue those paths, uh, it's an, there's no end to that. Uh, I mean, learning is forever. And that's the, uh, that's the great appeal about Freemasonry. Um, I guess for myself, I'm sort of like Brother Dan is, I, I love the history. I'm, I'm just a history buff and you'll probably find me somewhere on vacation, some historical. Uh, and for me, that's uh, just, I'd like knowing where we came from and why we, why are we here and how did we get here? I, I like that. Uh, I guess for me, uh, the one thing I've started to, to look into, I'm not a, is some of the, more of the esoterics, uh, just, you know, not something I know a whole lot about, but uh, it does have a philosophy that uh, some deeper meaning on some things. And it, for me, uh, it's something I'm kind of expanding into, but uh, my true passion is pretty much the, the history part because uh, that's uh, something I've always liked and continue to, to look at. Well, uh, brother Dan Kemble, I've got good news for you. We've had uh, 
so far on the, the Square and Compass podcast, we've had two uh, research scientists from, from NASA, JPL, uh, Jason Rhodes, and um, I just, uh, Gorgian, Gorgian uh, talking about some of their satellite programs and the Euclid space mission, um, particularly. Euclid obviously is going to be a pretty important name or should be an important name to Masons. So I'll leave a link for those, but anybody wants to check those out and learn more about astronomy, you can start here on this very, on this very podcast. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, I feel you on the math. I can't do math to save my life <laughs> as our, as our treasurer will, will tell you, uh, I can't do math to, to save my life. Uh, brother Tom, mm -hmm. you know, I, I myself am a, a past master. Uh, of two lodges you mentioned right that you are currently the worshipful master uh, mm -hmm. of the research lodge have you also been a worshipful master uh, uh, i forget now i'm sorry worship master of your blue lodge yes or blue lodge uh uh orion lodge in uh, falmouth kentucky it's uh, about 40 50 minutes south of cincinnati and uh in ohio and or in let's say kentucky but uh yeah, I've been uh, past uh, master of my own lodge, um, the current secretary. So that's the lifelong, um, I guess, I don't know. It's a lifelong thing kind of in here. Uh, and uh, I'm also past uh, district deputy grandmaster. Uh, and uh, Brother Dan has, is also a past district deputy grandmaster. So we've, uh, we've followed the craft at, at different levels. And uh, so, yeah, I've not only have had my own lodge, uh, now I'm part of research, but what I find is is how much I've grown in Freemasonry, and how I knew I, when I was master of my own lodge, of I man, I wish I could have done that, or I wish I could have done this. Uh, and this time around in the research lodge has allowed me to expand on some of those things that, if I ever uh, uh, took master of my own lodge again, there would be a, so many more things I would like that I, I have ideas to do. And I think it would, uh, something I might entertain down the road. Well, I, I feel your pain. I'm a past master and secretary, currently <laughs> secretary as well. I've not quite made it to the uh, right worshipful stage yet, the district deputy <laughs> stage. Uh, maybe one day, but hopefully the brethren come to their minds and don't want to put me in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I want to ask you, uh, maybe to expand on that a, a little bit, the, the kind of the differences you're finding between being the worshipful master um, you know, in your mother lodge versus being the worshipful master of a research lodge. I know, obviously, there's less frequent meetings, only four times per year, but do you find, you know, significant differences in how you approach being in the East and, and what it means to be a worshipful master of a research lodge versus mother lodge? It's, it's, some things are the same, some things are not. Obviously, the you know, opening, closing ritual and getting things started in your standard business, you know, uh, the minutes, the, that's all pretty much the same. Uh, I think, I guess, because as a research like we don't meet that often. You're trying to put a lot of stuff into one meeting where in your Blue Lodge, you're going to meet you're going to meet every month. So if you want to expand on something or do something a little differently, you have next month to do it. Within the research lodge, 
you only have that that fifth Wednesday of the of the month that, that it happens to get everything you kind of want in. But the other thing is is it keeping the biggest difference is keeping the membership engaged because with the research, like I said, we only meet four times a year. How do you keep brother abreast of all the things that you're doing behind the scenes? Unlike where you're in your uh, regular lodge, blue lodge, where you, you have a pretty constant contact and you know what's going on. And I think that's the biggest difference is making sure that we do things that continually engage uh, the membership, and that's something we did this year, and it was partly because of COVID. Is uh, now prior to the month prior to our our stated meeting during the year at our research lodge, we'll do a Zoom uh, meeting, uh, not a meeting, but uh, a presentation with something of Masonic relevance, uh, and uh, trying to just keep people engaged while you're, while you're having that long time in between. Yeah, that's something that, you know, I as secretary have been struggling with in Ontario, uh, simply due to COVID, you know, we've been uh, over a year now without a, an in-person meeting. Um, and we just went back into lockdown. So, you know, we're not sure when we'll be able to meet in person again. So trying to, you know, maintain engagement um, when you're not able to meet in person you know, using virtual resources and increasing correspondence and things of that nature. Um, you know, it seems that that's one area research lodges will really have, you know, another thing to, to, to teach the quote unquote regular lodges, blue lodges is how to maintain engagement when you have, you know, less frequent meetings and maintain communication with the brethren. Um, and you'll keep them engaged Masonically. Yeah. And that's, we, we use a lot of our, our, uh, our website, WeamAwareLodgeOfResearch.com, and that's where we provide videos, research papers, uh, notes of uh, Masonic interest that we can always say, well, you don't, um, book reviews, things that you keep in that resource out there for our membership or even any brother that they can go to that website, uh, look around. I go, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, uh, I'm going to have to get that book. And I think that still keeps them mentally engaged. And uh, so when things do open up or, uh, or they, you know, they have that time in between, that they, they have some resources they know they can go to. So that's been, for us, has been pretty, pretty good deal on our end. I will, uh, I will throw the link in the description to this video. But uh, one more time, throw out that website again. It's a William Aware Lodge of Research.com. All one word? Yep, all one word. All right. Uh, Brother uh, Dan Campbell, I want to go back to something you, you mentioned earlier, uh, because this is an area in my Masonic research where I'm quite deficient. Uh, you know, you mentioned the connection between the history of Kentucky and Freemasonry as being, you know, indistinguishable. Um, I, I believe I know a fair bit about America in general and that, you know, those connections, I'm sure not as much as, as yourself, but the, I know the cliff note, you know, Masonic connection regarding America, but 
Kentucky in particular, um, that's not something uh, I know very much about at all. Uh, I don't know if you can go through maybe some of the cliff notes, but some of those historical connections between Freemasonry and the great state of Kentucky, the bluegrass state, is that what it is? Bluegrass state, that's us, yes, sir. Um, Why is it bluegrass? First, Sorry, before you go into that. Pardon me? Why is it bluegrass? I've never actually known that. The uh, uh, grass that is grown in the central region of Kentucky has a, a relatively bluish tint to it. It's a long bladed grass and it's, uh, it's very beautiful. And uh, when the first settlers came into Kentucky and saw those meadows, uh, they found that bluegrass uh, very appealing to them. Very cool. Um, the, the, our first lodge was chartered in 1788. It was chartered by the Grand Lodge of Virginia. It was Lexington Lodge 25. And then in 1800, when our Grand Lodge was chartered, Lexington Lodge 25 became Lexington Lodge number one. We are very fortunate in Kentucky. Uh, we have in Lexington Lodge number one and in William O'Ware Lodge of Research. He's a dual member of both lodges. Uh, a brother named John Bizak, who is a prolific Masonic author. I have lost count of how many books John's written. I don't know if you kept up with it or not, but it, it's, I think he's hit double figures. Uh, but, but, but one of his books is called How and Why Freemasonry Came to Kentucky. And he tells a story, which I think is quite fascinating, and that is, in the early 1800s, Aaron Burr was involved, who was Vice President of the United States at the time, was involved in a political intrigue to possibly separate the western part of the United States, that part of the United States west of the Appalachian Mountains, separate that from the United States and enter into an alliance with Spain. Uh, and... Uh, and so part of the establishment of Freemasonry in Kentucky uh, came through a man named John Belly, uh, who George Washington and Henry Knox sent to Kentucky to, um, uh, among other things, report on the condition of affairs here, whether we were loyal to the United States or if we wanted to separate and go with Spain. And Freemasonry became part of the social fabric of the, of the state and tied us to the United States. So one of the, one of the uh, historical elements of Freemasonry coming to Kentucky is that it helped bind us to the United States at a time when it really wasn't a done deal as to whether or not the territories west of the Appalachian Mountains were gonna stay in the United States, uh, which I think is, a, is a, a pretty fascinating part of Kentucky history. That is very, very, very cool. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, the, the connections between the history of the United States, the history of Canada, for that matter, um, and Freemasonry, both on you know, the provincial or state level and, and the country as a whole. There really are so many of them. It's such a, an amazingly fertile uh, topic. You Especially for Brother, Brother Dan, as you mentioned, you're a history teacher um, in your professional career. I guess, why is it that you think, what was it about Freemasonry, uh, if you had any guesses, that was so attractive to, um, you know, some of these great historical figures, uh, George Washington, um, you know, even in Canada, our first prime minister. Uh, John A. Macdonald was a Freemason, um, you know, locally, 
War Chief Tecumseh, uh, First Nations uh, uh, Freemason. But all of these kind of historical figures, prominent figures in our country's histories being connected to the craft and the fraternity. I, where do you think, why do you think there's some of the causes for that? And what was so attractive about the craft to those men? It all starts with the age of enlightenment. Freemasonry, institutional Freemasonry is, a, is an enlightenment era institution. And we were, we came to birth in the age of enlightenment in the, in the late um, 17th century and the early 18th century. You know, the Royal Academy of Sciences in London. If you look at the at the membership lists of early Masonic lodges, so many of those men were member of members of the Royal Academy as well. And I think what you found is that the principles of Freemasonry, as were articulated in that Age of Enlightenment, affirmed the values that those men already had. So there was a natural connection there. Freemasonry was very attractive. We believed in reason as opposed to superstition. We believed in men meeting as equals, as opposed to having different distinctions of rank. Uh, we believed in, in, in basic equality among men. And, uh, and I think all of those things are the principles and ideals that are embodied in the age of enlightenment. And, um, and they were the ideals, when you, when you mentioned a man like George Washington, um, an author by the name of Mark Tabert, uh, who is, I think, just putting the finishing touches on a tremendous biography of Washington, refers to Washington as our perfect Ashler. And he is, in fact, a perfect exemplar of the ideals of the Age of Enlightenment. Justice, fortitude, patience, truth, charity. And, uh, and, and don't those all have a familiar ring to them? Uh, where have we heard those before? Um uh, and I think at the end of the day, I think the answer to your question is the values of the leaders of that time and the values of Freemasonry are so similar that they affirmed each other. And there's a natural synergy between the two. Is it the, the values of the leaders of the time or is it the values of the time itself uh, I, my, my question really referencing you know in since say 1960 give or take right we've seen a decline in membership uh, well documented decline in the membership and and the, the roles of of lodges um you know when you see these periods of great masonic growth 1920s uh kind of was in a lot of ways, the golden golden age, uh, at least in Canada, that's when you saw Freemasonry reach kind of the highest point. Do you think that was a reflection of the values of society and, and Freemasonry being well aligned? Do you think that had more to do with maybe leaders uh, in community, in, in the world, being aligned with Freemasonry and then bringing the, the two together? And I guess that leads to now, do you, do you still believe that the, the values of modern society are aligned with Freemasonry or, or can Freemasonry try to bring back some of those quote unquote, um, maybe older fashioned values or, or ideals? Great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to take you back a little ways first. And, and, and obviously I cannot speak for Freemasonry in Canada, but I can, I can tell you a little bit about what I think occurred in the United States from about 1870 
1920, we had what we call in the United States, the golden age of fraternalism, where one out of every five men belonged to something. It was the Masons or the Oddfellows or the, or the Woodmen or, or whatever that organization was. So you had this tremendous social push towards joining something. Uh, and I think that's where up until the end of the 1920s, where you really saw the increase in our membership was because that's what men did. They joined organizations like that. I don't think that was particularly good for Freemasonry because what you also saw in that same time is that we shifted away from a contemplative and philosophical society into a service club orientation. And I think we lost a lot of our identity in that process. Then 1929 comes along, you have the Great Depression. Uh, we're losing members in the 1920s and 1930s. We, I'm sorry, in the 1930s and the early part of the 1940s. And then in the mid 40s, we start to grow again. And we have this tremendous growth that lasts up till 1959 actually 1960 in Kentucky. Um, in 1959, there were 4 million American Masons. In 1960, there were 100,000 Masons in Kentucky. And in the 60 years since then, it's been continuous decline. I, my opinion only, I think we are living in a post-Enlightenment era society. Uh, I think the values that are found in the Enlightenment era are not the values of the majority of our culture at this point. Um, so the pool of men who would be interested in Freemasonry is smaller now than it would have been in previous times. Ironically, that's not necessarily a bad thing. When you think about it, because we are outside of the mainstream of the culture, Freemasonry is countercultural. Uh, and, and, and how ironic is that, that, uh, that we who have been such a, a status quo institution are really at this point in time in our history countercultural. Uh, you used a phrase that uh, I want to speak to uh, Brother Tom about because uh, that is something that I've been struggling with a lot. It's kind of in some ways at the heart of when I started this podcast or why I started this podcast the identity of Freemasonry or the identity of the craft. One concern I have with the identity uh, of Freemasonry is Freemasons themselves. I think we've started to identify it as a membership-based, um, it's qualified as a membership-based club as opposed to a skilled endeavor, um, which is something a research lodge, I think, tends to try to deal with. So an example is... Uh, Let's say I tell somebody that I'm a mixed martial artist, right? I, I'm a, 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 or a boxer, I'm a, I'm a fighter of some sort. I'm into combat sports, right? And they ask me, you know, how often do you train? And I say, well, I don't train. And they say, well, how often do you, do you take fights? And I say, I don't take fight, right? The next question is gonna be, well, then what makes you uh, a fighter? And if my answer is, well, I have this card in my pocket, that I'm a member of, you know, Gold's Gym, uh, and I may never go there and never train and never take fights, but I pay my dues and I'm a member. Um, you know, hopefully the person I'm speaking to would say, well, then you're not, you may be a member of a gym, but you're not yourself a mixed martial artist. And I think the one, I think the identity of, 
a Freemason, I think we need to go back to, or we need to have more of an emphasis on the work part of it, the actual endeavors, the, the research, the attendance at Lodge, all of those, those things um, that one has to do. Um, but I guess yeah, my question for, for Brother Tom is, you know, how would you, what would you consider to be the identity of, of the craft, the identity of a Freemason, and how does a research lodge help to promote that identity? Well, I guess you'd have to say that right now, a lot of Freemason, Freemasonry lodges focus on the organization. They focus on the rules, the minutes, the mundane uh, attributes of any civic organization. And what does a Mason get out of that? Yes, it's, yes, I learned how to run a organization. I do get some things out of that. But I can go become an elk, a moose, or whatever type of the Lions Club, you name it, I, 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 can, I can do that. What sets us apart is our philosophical history along with our ritual that I think we endeavor, we should be endeavoring to uh, understand why we're here. How are we, how are we trying to find a way to better ourselves and get closer to our creator, which whatever that may be for whoever person. And I think research lodges have the ability to, it's not so much about the day in, day out running of a lodge per se. It's about what can we do to enlighten our brethren? And I think that's what it really comes down to is uh, research lodges are doing, uh, you know, doing the labor and providing that material so that our other lodges, our blue lodges, can take that and begin their own labor. And, uh, you know, I don't know how it is in, in, in Canada, but I, I, I guess I, I guess I kind of put it like, it's like going to church. It, what, what would you get out of church? Say you went to church and you do your, you know, the open service, you know, your communion and all that stuff and you had no sermon, what are you getting out of? What are you getting out of church? Nothing. So I kind of link that to our lodges and the, the fact that if I go to my lodge, I want to get something out of it. I want, I want to leave there taking something that I can better myself, uh, help another person, and uh, internally grow. Uh, and I think that sometimes we, we, we miss that when we get focused on the organization. The, the, and you saw that like, like Brother Dan was saying in the 1950s, we had such a growth in uh, Freemasonry, but we were more fixated on the members and getting more people in and we got diluted. And I think research lodges have the ability now to bring back some of what we what we were and what we should be, and I think that's an opportunity for us to uh, to move other lodges ahead uh, by uh, providing quality education, uh, whether it be some Masonic or astronomy or math or architecture. 
and I think we that's what we can do to better our, our brothers. Uh, Cameron, if, if you will, uh, I, that question that you posed and that analogy of, uh, of the fighter and with the gym card is, uh, is spot on. I mean, that's, that's one of the best analogies. In fact, if you don't mind, I may use that uh, <laughs> time in the future. But I'm going to tell you some, uh, some brief statistics that, that uh, I'd like for you to, to measure against that analogy that you made. Uh, in 2018, our Lodge of Research uh, undertook a, a research project called The Characteristics of an Ideal Lodge. And we, uh, we asked Kentucky Masons what they wanted to see in their lodges. And about 75% of those men indicated that they thought that our primary purpose was public charity, that we should be raising money for charity and then dispensing that money to those charities. So, so they view us as a charity and, and I believe that that's an incorrect view. Freemasonry is not a charity. Charity is part of Freemasonry, but it isn't our reason for existence. Um, as a part of that survey as well, we began to measure the number of men who are actually active in Lodge. Now, we have roughly 30,000 Masons in Kentucky, and we found, we determined that 56% of those men had Sorry, never uh, been... Dan? Sorry, yes. we're getting a bit of squeaking. Um, you on your are. end of the uh, let me I'll try to sit still in my chair here I get excited when I, uh... there you go okay so we found that 56% of our 30,000 Kentucky Masons had never been back in Lodge since they had received their last degree and that is exactly what you're describing we've got a majority of our membership in this state who say that they're martial arts fighters or boxers and they've never been back in the gym since the, since the day they signed up. Yeah. It, you know, I remember trying to explain this and, and, and I don't think I've ever done a very good job. You know, I, I once asked the question or, or I'm trying to think how to describe it here. A, a good example. Um, I heard a, a actor talking about, being on a movie set with a particularly, uh, it was a challenging director who um, was not a, a, I mean, I'm sure he's a nice enough guy when he's not on the set, but he, you know, he was mean and crass and would yell at them and, and all that type of stuff. And, and he, the actor didn't particularly enjoy it, but then he said something I thought was really interesting. He said, he stuck it out and you could argue, you know, it's his job, he's getting paid. Uh, what he said, and I thought it was interesting, is, you know, he stuck it out because he wasn't there for himself. He was there to create something that would make the world a better place. In this case, the movie, right? The movie gets put out and it gets people are entertained by it. So he was willing to engage in something challenging and hard. Not because he got any, well, because he wanted to be a part of something that would improve the world. He said, you know, I'm not, it's not about me. It's about the thing that I create for others. You know, in Freemasonry, so often it seems like guys join, you know, they're joining for themselves in a sense. They're joining because they want a place, not with the family or, or whatever it is. They're joining to get something out of it for themselves as opposed to joining to create something that makes the world a better place. And I don't mean that in a charitable sense. They can be in the sense of like they, they create money, but just... You know, I'm a firm believer that a world with 
well run, well organized, well educated, and well researched Masonic lodges creates a better world. But that requires, you know, regular attendance, and that requires people to show up, and that requires people to dedicate a portion of their lives to it when they may prefer doing something else. They want to be at home, they want to be asleep. But I think so long as we can communicate to people that, you know, your attendance, it's not about you, it's about your being here making the world a better place because this is a place of research and enlightenment. I think that's a message that we sometimes have lost in Freemasonry. We, we, sometimes I think we try to message it as, you know, this is a, a, a place where you'll get something out of it. And that's, I've certainly, many people, myself included, have got much out of Freemasonry. But instead of saying, this is a place where if you join, you will make the world a better place. I think that there's a, a message somewhere in there that's getting lost because people seem to have this idea of I go there for fun and enjoyment. Uh, and if I can get more fun and enjoyment going to the movies or staying at home or whatever it is, I'll do that instead. And I, I think you have a really good point there. And when we talked a lot about charity, well, what about, well, it's not just the, the giving of money or how many, whatever you want to give away or do. And those are, those are good things. Don't get me wrong. But on the other hand, changing another person's life where they can change another person's life how impressive, how important is that for the better? When you walk out of your lodge and, you know, you've, uh, or research lodge or wherever, wherever you came from, and you feel like that I'm going to make a change. Well, it's just like, you know, passing something along because when you go to work or with your family, those positive interactions will rub off. And you change that person. I think that's the best charity uh, I could think we could ever do is, uh, is our work towards being a better man and giving uh, society the, the, I guess, the, uh, a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of, uh, and helping them change uh their society and i think that in, in turn it will it will grow and i think that's our biggest place where we we don't do enough is that that charity of that human connection and that human inspiring other people to be better than they once were even i i agree completely you know charity you know charity being charitable can mean being charitable with your time and giving of your time to something else. You know, I, yeah, the, the, the phrase I once used and I said, how do we get people to be in lodge when they don't want to be in lodge? And, you know, the response was, well, we shouldn't, we should want everybody to get into lodge, but I've always thought that's not exactly a realistic way to look at it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very lazy, so I don't always want to work out. In fact, I often don't want to work out, um, but I do it because I believe that, you know, in doing so, and you could say it's just semantics, right? I really do quote unquote want to, but 
I certainly don't feel like doing it at the time, but I recognize that a healthier me is beneficial for me and it's beneficial for the world, right? I want to be healthy so I can, you know, we talk about in the first degree, I want to be, be healthy so I can have my faculties at their fullest extent to, to help the world. Um, so, you know, just because a, a brother may not want to be in Lodge doesn't mean that he's not needed and he shouldn't still make an effort to go. Even, you know, for the charitable aspect, just being present at a brother's initiation or his second degree or his third degree, even if you have no work to do, even if it's just to be there on the sideline, you know, yes, you may have seen a hundred initiations before and you may see a hundred in the future, but in that one moment, your presence means a lot to the brother being initiated. It's a charitable thing to do. Um, and I think that that is, yes, yeah, sometimes a, a, that is kind of a lost idea um, in, in the world of Freemasonry today. And, and you can also, uh, you know, instead of charity, how about we just change it to love? You know, loving your brothers, being there for them. When you, when you love someone, you will make the time. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, I think you're right. You know, we, there's times that, man, I, I, I've been at work all day. It's been stressful. I'm brain dead. I, I, I'm just trying to find a way to, to, to relax. And I got, no, I got Lodge. And, uh, you know, but I still make every effort because, one, I want to share that I care. Uh, and I want to learn. And uh, so even though you may be tired sometimes, making that extra effort, like you said, you feel tired, but you still go to the gym because you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you. And I think we just have to sometimes explain the hard work you do now will be so worth it in the end and, and a life well lived. Yeah, and brother uh, Dan, I'm wondering if if there's any any correlations or similarities between perhaps this idea and going back to the history discussion. You know, the Age of Enlightenment. Um, uh, you know, this idea of a Masonic lodge, um, not not only as a place of enlightenment per se, but as a place of 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 work and of um, you know, a place where, where it's enjoyable and you want to be there, but there's also a, an expectation placed in terms of things like work and attendance and, and just as a place of where there's, there's something more than quote unquote social socializing, but actual, um, an actual attempt to make the world a better place. I'll go back to your gym analogy. Uh, when you have been in the gym and you've worked out, uh, how do you feel besides tired? How do you feel after that workout? You, know, you feel refreshed in some sense. And you feel like you've accomplished something. And you feel like you're, you, you walk, you're walking out a better man than you were when you walked in. I would hope that the experience in any Masonic Lodge, whether it be a working blue lodge or a lodge of research, is that when you walk out at the end of the day, you feel refreshed. You feel refreshed spiritually. You feel refreshed mentally. You feel refreshed uh, socially as well, because all of that means that you have worked that particular evening. You, you, you may have worked at ritual. You may have worked at just being there to be a compassionate ear for someone. Uh, 
one of the things that I think that we deal with, and, and I think something that, that got um, uh, overlooked to a certain extent is when Freemasonry grew so large, we had lodges of 100 men and 200 men and 300 men. And you can't intimately know your brothers in a lodge of 300 or even 200, and it's hard to do in 100. Smaller lodges give you the environment where you can know on a one-to-one -one basis your brothers in a particular lodge. And as you get to know them on a one-to-one -one basis, you become invested in their successes the same way you're invested in your successes as well. And that's part of the work also of being a Mason. And I think those are the things in our, in our rush to big numbers, we, lo we, we lost that intimacy that we can have in smaller numbers. The, the challenge that we're seeing right now in not just Ontario, but, but many jurisdictions. And I'm wondering if this is true of Kentucky or, or just what your thoughts are um, on this, uh, this challenge is, you know, we have a Masonic infrastructure built really for the 1920s and the assumption that that pattern would continue um, in terms of the size of our buildings and the, um, yeah, the, the size of the buildings, the meeting rooms, the number of committees, the infrastructure, um, you know, and there's discussion uh, in New York, there's discussion all, all in Alaska, I talked to brethren about this, you know, about this idea of trying to maintain buildings and infrastructures that were built at a time when you had such a, a bigger base by which to collect dues and collect revenue, or, you know, retreat's not the right word because it's got a, a, a connotation I don't like, but a, a strategic withdrawal. Do we try to return more to smaller venues, kind of the roots of the craft above taverns, things of that nature? Um, I guess I'm curious as to, you know, if Kentucky is experiencing anything similar or just your thoughts, both in terms of your research and your, your, um, your Blue Lodges. Anybody. I was just going to say, and, and we're, we're, we are, Tom and I uh, are members of lodges that are, they're about 40 miles apart. So we're, we're really part of the same community. But, um, you know, we have um, a Scottish Rite Temple in Covington, Kentucky, uh, which is where our research lodge meets. And there are uh, two blue lodges that meet in that building. So they're tenants there. Uh, my Blue Lodge meets in a different building in a different part of the community, and we're tenants in that building. We don't own the building in which we meet now. So what, what you're seeing, the, all of that is true because those lodges at one time all had their own buildings, but because of dwindling membership and high insurance and high real estate taxes and high maintenance costs, they haven't been able to sustain their, um, their physical facilities. And I think that's absolutely what we're seeing now is that the, those beautiful buildings that we built from about 1890 up through 1929 are, uh, have become liabilities to us. Uh, and, and if you travel the, the breadth of the state of Kentucky, and I suspect most of the United States, you'll find Masonic Lodges that 
are in a pretty serious state of decay because we just don't have the numbers to sustain that anymore. Uh, quite frankly, um, I, I wish we'd get back to the days uh, where we didn't have buildings to upkeep and we weren't as concerned about uh, material possessions. Uh, I, I'd love to go back to uh, to inns and taverns and local restaurants and uh, uh, not focus on the mechanical things, but begin to focus on the philosophical and spiritual things, which is really what we came here to do. And I'd just like to add, and the only thing I always look at is, what is the lodge? Is it the building or is it your brothers? Mm-hmm. And if it comes down to the, the, that, that physical building nature lodge, you know, we weren't never meant to be that. The, you know, it's just an empty building without your, your brothers. So like Brother Dan said, you know, does it really? Yes, we do have some, you know, uh, uh, they, uh, how to put this? We, we do have some affection for our, our places where we go. I get that. But in the end, does that, does that really matter when it's all about our brothers? And where you meet is just a side, a side part of it. I, uh, you know, it's it's always fun to have disagreements on on a podcast. So I will say, uh, if you've seen any of my, my past episodes, I've always been of the other view in terms of, of maintaining the buildings. But I definitely, you know, there's a very there's a very strong argument uh, as to what you know you're saying, and, and I do recognize that. I guess that though, you know, my trying to, the, the, I've always wondered, is, is there a viable middle ground, quote unquote, you know, in terms of these Masonic structures as, and this is something I've emphasized because the Windsor Masonic Temple is celebrating its hundredth anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Um, as as being both a Masonic home, but also a community uh, home. You know, the best example of that would probably be Detroit, right across the river, um, which you know, so many people will will talk, and even in Windsor, because you cross the river, you're right in Detroit. Will say, you know, they went to a concert at the Masonic, and they won't recognize, even as they say it, that it has a fraternal connection. To them, you know, it's a concert hall. It's a place they go to see, you know, the Stones, Phantom of the Opera, the Monkees, all, all these amazing bands over the years. Um, I guess I've always wondered, is there a way for, for some of these, these grand Masonic temples to, uh, the way to maintain themselves is to become open to the public in the sense of, you know, this can be a home for, you know, yourself as well whether it be concerts weddings tours like philadelphia different different ways to include the the public uh and in some ways you know include them in the masonic journey because i I do like to think that you know a history of positive events in a location can you know make the building a, a better place for everybody or is that again does that just you know, that's something, I mean, we've seen with COVID, right? How many Masonic temples, and I know of a few, who relied on outside revenue to maintain themselves, 
in the face of dwindling dues. And then that was taken away from them. And, you know, if they had no reserves, they're now in a lot of trouble at this point. So I guess my question is, do you, do you think there's a role for the general public, quote unquote, in Freemasonry to be involved in certain aspects of the buildings, the craft? Or again, is it better to go back to those more esoteric, uh, quote unquote, insular roots? I, I certainly have no um, no objection to having the public involved in our Sky Shrine Temple here in Covington. We've got a 500 seat theater, uh, and uh, and on occasion, um, uh, the city of Covington has used that for um, uh, for different purposes. Uh, I'd like to see that happen more often. I'd love to see us integrated into the community uh, in that fashion. Um, one of our issues as Freemasons is people aren't aware of us. They don't know that we exist. Uh, I have talked with people who have come into that, uh, come into that temple for a different purpose. And, uh, you know, and said, Oh, I've lived here, you know, all my life. I'm 45, I'm 50, I'm 60 years old. And I never did. I've never been in this building. I, I didn't know what you did here. Uh, and, and they see that it's a, a very useful, very beautiful facility. So I'm, I'm all for that. I, I am, I'm completely happy with letting the public see who we are and, and letting them, uh, letting them know that we're still here. But, um, <clears throat> I, I told you earlier, I'm not very good at math, but, um, but I think math is against us in this particular area. Uh, and that is, uh, the, the cost of maintenance versus, uh, the revenue coming in, uh, is just awfully difficult to reconcile. So, Looking, looking ahead, um, you know, like I said, I'll throw the, the website down in the description, but if any brethren are interested in learning and, in, in, you know, in growing in the craft in getting more research, getting any research to share crafts with their brethren, um, to make presentations in Lodge, how would they go about that? Worshipful brother, I'll, I'll let you take it. Could you say that again? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, no, it's just, uh, you know, if any brethren want to gather some research documents or documentation to share with their lodge to make educational presentations, perhaps they want to get in touch with, uh, perhaps they want to get in touch with either their local research lodge or yourselves. Um, how would they get in touch with yourself and how would they connect with you and learn about some of the research you've got going on? Uh, well, generally the, the, the best way... Uh... Uh, to get a hold of us is through our website uh, that we we can you can connect through there. We also have uh, our Facebook site as well, uh, WeMaware Lodge of Research. So they can go to uh, they can go to those two places uh, to uh, try to get a hold of us um, and contact us. And uh, you know it's you know there's uh, plenty of ways. Uh, you know, just quick Google search. And honestly, that's kind of what we kind of talked about. It. I was like, how did you locate us? And you said, well, I just did a quick Google search. And I, I thought that, you know, you know, in, in this time that, you know, you know, here you are in Canada and, and you find a research lodge in Kentucky. And, and you know, we see the great expanse of, of our two countries. And uh, by a simple Google search, uh, um, 
I'm getting talked to a brother from Canada. And I, I think that's great. And we get, we've tonight, we've shared so many uh, great uh, topics and debates and, and, you know, and it's kind of thing when you talked about, you know, should we save the billions and that, and we also have different views, but we, here we are talking in a respectful manner and learning from each other's ideas of why we are, and that's masonry. And so uh, uh, what you're doing is, is, is a great thing. And, um, but uh, getting back to the point where uh, for contact, you either go through our website uh, or through our Facebook page to get a hold of us. And uh, Brother Tom, what would you say, you, you kind of talked about this way back at the start. Um, you know, you mentioned how you were you know, nervous and, and hesitant about public speaking, especially early in your Masonic career. To any brethren who maybe they're new in their Masonic career, or maybe they've been a Mason for a while, but just have always been nervous about, you know, making an educational presentation in Lodge um, or speaking in Lodge, I guess, what would you, you say to them? Um, you know, what advice would you have for them? I would say, just do it. Um, it took some nudging for me from the guy that's on cast here tonight with me, uh, a little bit of nudging, had a little brotherly help along the way. Uh, and that was a lot of mentorship. Uh, and I would say, don't discount your abilities. And it's okay to fail. And, and I say that in, not in the sense that you, know, you want to do a terrible job or anything like that. But you may not be the best at certain things. But if you can be better than you were yesterday, you have improved. And I would tell that to anybody. Uh, you know, it took me baby steps being in Lodge, uh, starting researching little topics of Masonic interest. And I took little by little uh, in my own uh, Blue Lodge to look up things and then get over that, try to get past that fear of talking, uh, you know, trying to find the words, uh, you know, and don't compare yourself to other people. You're you, you are unique. Uh, and your best and your best and my best may be two different things. So trying to, trying to compare yourself to other people, you're, you're a unique person. And I think if you go into that understanding that as long as you're improving and you're at least doing the work, you've won half the battle. And I think that's what I would tell someone. Now, the, uh, the most important question, since I am here in Windsor, Ontario, uh, when you guys are, are at your meetings or uh, perhaps when you find yourself with other Masonic brethren after a meeting at a local watering hole, is it, uh, do you prefer Kentucky bourbon or Canadian whiskey? Hmm. Brother Dan, would you like to? <laughs> Uh, I've never heard of Canadian whiskey. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. <laughs> Kentucky bourbon's a religion down here, my friend. Uh, <laughs> come down here and, and we'll give you plenty of it. I, if I ever make my way to, uh, I've been to, to Kentucky once. I, I got to be in Louisville, which was, uh, I had a lot of fun there. But 
perhaps I will I will bring some uh, Hiram Walker whiskey and we'll we'll see which is which is preferred. <laughs> you know, we would be happy to do research on that project. Yes, that's an important one. A bottle. <laughs> Maybe I'll see if I can uh, if I can send one one down your way. But in exchange, I would perhaps have to. Uh, Ask for some reciprocity. Perhaps some some Kentucky bourbon could find its way to my uh, my lodge, brethren. Uh, of course, <laughs> brethren. It has been a you know this is my uh, this would be my first uh, interview with brethren from Kentucky. I've had the chance, like I said, to visit uh, the temple in Louisville. I got to be there for their fish fry, actually. But I've never had a chance to speak to anybody on the podcast. So it has been an absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you both uh, so much for, for taking the time down there in Louisville to speak to me up here in Canada. Well, thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about William Aware Lodge research and Freemasonry in general. And, um, and it, it's amazing, like I said before, to see all the commonalities that we all have as brothers and to, to, to uh, come into a show like this and talk masonry. And uh, we all have that, that shared common bond that we are all brothers. Uh, it's awesome. And uh, I thank you for what you do. And with that, brethren, I will remind everybody watching because I always forget to uh, hit the like button, subscribe button, comment, all that good stuff. Any topics you want to see me discuss um, on the podcast or any guests that you want me to, to reach out to or have um, that you think could help either in your Masonic journey or even if you're not a Mason but want to learn more about the craft, leave a, a comment down below.